You are listening to Graceway's weekly message podcast. We hope that this message encourages you to know and enjoy God, find friends, discover your purpose, and make a difference in your community. Enjoy the message. So we're in a series to start the year called Hearing God. And, uh, and this series is really born out of some things that I was feeling over the last uh, couple years, honestly. So I said last week, I'm going to say it again, everybody in this room is going to draw their last breath, they're going to stand before their creator, the God of the Bible, and they're going to give an account for the life that they led. And for those of us who are in Jesus, that is not a scary thing, because we stand represented by Jesus without condemnation. It's an incredible thing to know that when you draw your last breath, you are going to be in the presence of God eternally and that he's not going to judge you for all the things you did. He's going to have judged Jesus and, and you are going to be welcomed in. But, but God's, going to, God's going to ask me something that he's not going to ask anybody else in this room. He's going to ask me about you. He's going to ask me about Graceway and, and what did you do to lead and to take care of this place called Graceway in Kansas City, Missouri. And I said last week, and I'll, I'll say it again, that my hope is that I can say that I, as, as well as I could for as long as you let me, I taught them how to know and enjoy and walk with you. Now, there's a lot of things that are caught up in that. Obviously, I want to teach you the Bible. I want to teach you to pray. I want to teach you to be generous, all of those things. But all of that is really under this. I, I, I don't want you to stand before God and remember me. I want you to stand before God and say, some bald guy just always was talking about Jesus always making much of Jesus, and if at the end of your life, the ministry of this place helps you fall more deeply, madly in love with Jesus, then, then I feel good about standing before him. And so this series is really born out of that, and it's born out of just me watching in the last couple years is the volume of so many voices has been turned up in our life. And my fear in that is that not only just the effect of the volume, but the effect on our ability to differentiate voices and hear God's voice not only above any other voice, but, but in the midst of every other voice. I've heard a lot of people speaking for God, saying God said things that he would never say. He would never say. And I want to teach you uh, what it looks like to... To hear from God. So all the way through this book, God is speaking. I think that God still speaks. The, 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 the canon is closed. We have everything that we need in here, but you still have the Holy Spirit, and he's speaking and moving and encouraging. The book begins with God talking and ends with God talking. And many of us, um, man, we want to hear from God. We've heard from God in the past. We know that God has things that he wants to say. We're sincerely interested, but we find it a little difficult. And so I said last week, and I'll say again, there's a structure to hearing in our lives, and it's as true in the spiritual as it is in the physical, that if you want to hear somebody speak, you either have to turn down the volume on other things, or you have to lean into them and ask them to speak up. That's the way that it works. And it's the same thing in the spiritual. If you want to hear God, last week we talked about you turning down other voices and other mediums in your life so that God's voice becomes a little bit louder. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about you turning up the voice of God so that you can hear it. And it's really got to be both, guys. 
It can't only be that you turn other things down. It has to be that you turn other things down and then you also turn up the voice of God. We see this in the life of Jesus again and again and again, that Jesus managed the volume in his life and he managed it to prioritize the voice of God. He went away from crowds, he went away from fame, he went away from notoriety, he went to solitary places so that he could enjoy God. And I just wanna say this to you again, Jesus appeared to believe that his vibrancy in public was overtly connected to his vibrancy in private. That your relationship to God when nobody is looking is the ticket toward your certainty, toward your longevity, towards your joy, towards your fulfillment. If you are brittle in private, you will be broken in public. And I want you to be full, and I want you to, to be saturated in the presence of God so that when you come into the public forum, we can not only experience the goodness that God gives us through you, but we can experience the presence of God that you bring with you from, from, from that private place, okay? And so I'm going to give you six things today. I'm going to move really quickly through the first four because I think that, that you're probably going to know them, but I also think that you need to be reminded of them. And then the last two, we're going to hang out a little bit more, and it's going to take us into next week as well, okay? So hang with me on that. The first way that you turn up uh, God's voice in your life is reading. Not just reading, reading, reading this, reading, reading the Bible, okay? Having a relationship with God's Word. In Psalms chapter 1, listen to the way that God talks about somebody who has a relationship with his book. This is what happens to them. Psalms 1 and verse 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. This is somebody who isn't filling their life with lots of other voices. I'm not listening to other counsel. I'm not standing in the same course, in the same way, in the same philosophy. I'm not sitting under the authoritative voice of other broken people. That's what he's talking about. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, he meditates day and night. His heart, his mind, his life is full of this book. What happens to that man or woman? He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. God says if, you, if you're meditating on this book, it, it creates a... It has a watering effect. It has a prospering effect. It has a fulfilling effect that you can't get listening to anybody else or reading any other book. 2 Timothy 3 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, learning, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God might be complete, equipped for every good work. If you want to be fulfilled, if you want to prosper, if you want to be equipped, if you want to be complete for all of the things that God says you need, you need a relationship with this book. Now, the Bible gives us five ways that you can interact with this book. It says you can hear it, like you're doing right now. It says that you can read it. It says that you can study it. It says that you can memorize it. And it says that you can meditate on it. Five, five ways that you can have a relationship with this book. So let's talk about them for a minute. Research says that when you hear God's word spoken in church or in some, some other context, you retain between 5 and 10% bruising the egos of preachers everywhere. 
right? When it's Pastor Todd, you get 13%, all right? But everybody else, 5 5 to 10%, except on Super Bowl Sunday, and then you won't remember any of it, all right? If we read it carefully, you retain between 10 and 30%, depending on your reading comprehension. If you study it, possibly up to 50 or 60, if you memorize it, how much do you retain? 100%. And if you meditate on it, you don't just retain it, it becomes a part of your thinking. It becomes a part of who you are. Now, as encouraging as these potential stats are, there's some room for concern. Because church attendance right now, 26% of evangelicals say they attend church four times a month. 26%. Do you remember when it used to be that when the church doors were open, all the saints were in the sanctuary? Not anymore. Not anymore. 31% say they come between three, one to three times, and 43%, almost half of the church attends once a month. 50% of Americans have never read the Bible or rarely read it. Half. 33% of Americans never pick up the Bible, have never read it, never intend to read it. Less than 25% have a plan in place to read it. Only 18% of Christians in America read their Bibles daily. Okay, now I just want you to connect this. These, these aren't criticisms, but they are instructive. Because they explain a great deal about the state of our soul and our relationships. If the Bible is the river by which you must be planted to be flourishing, prospering, healthy, well, complete, equipped, and we're not hearing it, we're not reading it, we're not studying it, we're not meditating on it, we're not memorizing it, the brittleness that you see on the news and feel in your soul is connected to our lack of relationship and proximity to this book right here. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. Listen, if you have any interest in hearing from God, any interest, if, it, if it's a passing thought or it's a daily pursuit, if you want to know what God is like, if you want to know what he thinks, if you want to know how he feels, if you want to know how to do it the way that he says it ought to be done, there is no way around you having a relationship with this book. It is the do not pass go. It is the starting place. It is the most elementary thing, friends, in the Christian faith for you to both own and read and care about what's in this book. And I just want to encourage you that if you, if you are feeling brittle, if you're feeling distant, if you're feeling overwhelmed, I would just simply ask you, what's your plan to read the Bible this year? Every single year, the pastors of this church read through the Bible together. Every year. Since I walked in the door. Every year, we read the same plan, the one-year Bible. I'd encourage you to get into a small group and say, let's just read the Bible together. Let's just read the Bible together. During midweek, which is going to start February 8th, we're going to do five new groups, five new classes. One of them, I'm going to do a, a group called How to Study the Bible. But can I just tell you, I, I would love each and every one of you to come to How to Study the Bible, but I don't want you to come if you ain't reading the Bible. Come on, somebody. 
I want you to start reading, and then I want you to come, and I'll, I'll teach you how to study it. But friends, I, I just can't emphasize this enough. Uh, so many of the promises of God that benefit and bless your life, you just simply don't know what they are because you've never read this book. And it's easy to get lost if you don't have a relationship to it. Secondly, uh, first reading, secondly is writing. Writing. God tells Habakkuk and Jeremiah to write down what he said. Now let me, let me just clarify here. Not to, not to do this. Not to put it in their phone. Not to type it. To, to, to write it. In biblical times, there was actually a role for writing God's word. They were called scribes. And they were charged with copying the law, the Old Testament into scrolls, recording it and preserving it so that people could read it and so that it could get into their hearts and that out of what was being written and read and meditated on, it would provide them what they needed to provide the leadership and the covering for the nation of Israel. You want to be a leader? Have a relationship to this book and be writing it. In fact, in Deuteronomy 17, God said to all of the Hebrew kings, when he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of his law, taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him. He is to read it all the days of his life so that he might learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of his law and those decrees and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. It's a fascinating thing. In order to lead, know the law. When you know the law, you won't think you're better than other people. You, you want to know, know the antidote for some of the arrogance and divisiveness that we see in our culture right now? This. This is it. Reading it, studying it, meditating on it, memorizing it, hearing it, writing it. Writing God's Word. Journaling is what we call it. Now, without writing, without collecting, without cataloging what God has said, it is easy to lose his voice in the wave of messaging and busyness of life. I I just want to say, if you want to prioritize the voice of God, collect it differently than you prioritize other people's voice. And your phone and your iPad and your laptop is full of other people's voices. Distinguish God's by collecting his differently. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I, um, I've struggled with journaling for a long time. How many of you have ever had somebody say, you should, you should journal? Yeah, all of us, okay? And all of us are like, yeah, whatever, man. And we do it for a couple days at the beginning of a year or one when somebody we especially respect um, tells us. And, and I'm going to teach you in two weeks a way to journal that has been an absolute game changer for me. It's going to be a little bit unique of a service. I'm going to actually have you practice it in, in the service because I want you to experience it. But I, I, I would just say to you a couple things. Number one, uh, journaling, writing, it slows me down and it opens me up. And I need both. I need to slow down. How many of you, um, don't, don't raise your hand, you, uh, you listen to the Bible in the morning while you're getting ready? Okay, now I'm not, I'm not dogging yet at all. Okay, but can I just say every now and again, just Make sure you make time to sit down with an open Bible in your lap and just read. Don't, don't squeeze the Bible in, okay? I need to slow down. I need to slow down, and writing slows me down. Texting doesn't slow me down. 
Typing doesn't slow me down. Writing, it slows me down, and it opens me up. Writing forces me to pick up my thoughts and think about them, which is something that very few of us do. We don't think about our thoughts. We don't doubt our doubts. We focus on our fears. We assume that we're right because nobody ever contradicts us. So let me just encourage you, if you want to be growing, make sure that you have a process for contradicting yourself. And one of the ways that you contradict yourself is you write down what you think, and then you write underneath it, write down what God's think, God thinks or says, and go, oh, man, I'm off. Okay, so writing allows me to do that. Writing allows me to empty my soul safely. You need a place to empty your soul safely. Typically, you go to counseling to do it, but counseling takes a while for you to trust somebody enough to be able to empty your soul to them. You say, I don't have that kind of time. Fair enough. Journal. And empty your soul to God. Slow down. Think about your thoughts. Empty your soul. Say all of the things. I mean, if you read my journal, I would be unemployed. I'm just saying to you. Some of the stuff I write in it, you're like, this dude is a psychopath. I am. It's true. I am. 45 years of being a psychopath. Somehow I became a pastor. That's the grace of God for you. Come on, somebody. All right? Yeah, it slows me down. It allows me to see where I have been and to see what I have said to God. And in turn, it allows me to see where he has led me and what he has said back. And I'll just tell you, I tend to forget. I tend to forget what I have said to God, what I have asked for God. This is one of the things that I love about 21 days of prayer, two times a year, five years since I've been here. We've done it 10 times now. And I have people who come up to me and they say things like, I started praying for this the third time we did 21 days of prayer and God just answered it. That's a holy moment. For you to say, I asked back here and God gave it to me over here. Most of us, because we don't have a way to collect, we forget that we asked over here, so we just think it's serendipitous that he gave it to us here. No, no, no. God heard your prayer back there and saw fit to allow you to receive it over here. And journaling allows you to see both. I want to encourage you. Buy, buy a pen you like to write with. Buy a journal you want to write in. Carve out. Just do 10 minutes. Okay? Just do 10 minutes with an open Bible, with an open heart, with a quiet mind, and just begin to write. There's not a right or a wrong way to do it. I'm going to teach you a way in two weeks. But I just want you to begin to collect the voice of God, and I want you to begin to think about your thoughts, and I promise if you will do that, it will order them in a way that will be a blessing to you. So first is reading, second is writing, third is responding. The Bible calls it prayer. Prayer is really responding. So listen to what Philippians chapter 4 says, don't be anxious for anything. Okay, the opposite of being anxious but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In the Bible, the opposite of anxiety is prayer. In the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Watch. I, I'm, I have anxiety. I'm struggling with peace. Are you praying? Are you collecting your prayers? Are you filling your mind with God's word? If you do, that's when the peace that surpasses understanding kicks in. It's not... A thing that happens by osmosis, like you turn the corner and wham, the peace that passes understanding hits you in the face. No, no, no. It's a result of a promise. Do it this way, and then you will experience the peace that passes understanding. 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice always, 
Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. What's God's will for my life? That you would rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in everything. That's the will of God for your life. Tim Keller defines prayer as a personal, communicative response to the knowledge of God. Now, that's a little heady, but here's what it is. It's to be able to communicate with somebody that you believe exists. That's a good definition. In order for you to pray, you have to believe that somebody's on the other end of the phone. But prayer isn't just for you to believe. A lot of people believe in God. They just never talk to him. So prayer is the, the double belief. God exists. I can talk to him. And then if you want to go third, he wants to hear from me. 777, hello? Okay. Prayer is continuing a conversation that God has started through his word and his grace, which eventually becomes a full encounter with him. The problem is that if God is not the starting point, then our perceived emotional needs become the drivers and sole focus of our prayers. Hello. Prayer brings perspective, sets the big picture gets you out of the weeds, reorients you to where you really are. If you ever had this experience where you're praying and you say amen and you're just as confused as when you started, here's why. Because you didn't pray with an open Bible. You just prayed your mind. And there's blessing to that. I would encourage you to journal your mind and pray the Bible. I, I don't need my mind. I already got it. Are you with me? I don't need my thoughts. They, are, they already aren't helping me. And so I dump my thoughts in journal, and then I open up God's word, and I pray in response. Prayer is a response to God. Without prayer as a response, reading the Bible just becomes a one-way conversation in which we don't actually commune with God. You see, I'm reading my Bible, and I'm not hearing from God. That's because you aren't talking back to him. It's because you aren't talking back to him. God speaks the most when he talks and then you talk, and he talks and then you talk, and he talks and then you talk. God, much like me, doesn't like monologues. That's why I say, talk back to me, right? God's not just trying to preach to you. God wants a relationship with you. And so with the God of the universe leading the conversation, there's five ways the Bible tells us to pray. The Bible says pray with your Bible open. It's the book of Psalms. God gave us the Psalms so you can give the Psalms back to God. I'd encourage you, if you don't know what to pray, just open up to Psalms chapter 1 and just pray. God, you say, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, who doesn't stand in the way of sinners. You say, do not sit in the seat of scoffers. God, there are people that I'm listening to right now that aren't pointing me towards you. They're actually making me nervous and afraid, and they're pointing me more toward D.C. than they are toward heaven. Come on, somebody. God, there are people in my life right now who have been speaking things over me that feel like curses. And God, I need to hear your voice today, so God, I plant myself beside the river of your word and of your spirit. Okay, just... Okay. So I'm praying with an open Bible. Secondly, I'm praying expectantly. John 15, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. There's the... There's the thing that has to be. You abide in me, and my words abide in you. Okay? Ask whatever you will, and it shall be done for you. Why? Because you're praying the will of God. 
I just prayed God's word to God. You, don't, you think God's going to answer a prayer that he gave me to pray? Yes. The Bible says some of y'all, you don't have because you're not asking because you what? Because you ask amiss. You're asking for the wrong thing. You pray the Bible, you're never going to be asking for the wrong thing, and you can always assume that God's going to answer. It's just a question of when. It's just a question of when. Jesus' words are open to you and I so we can pray with great expectation. When we pray according to the promises of God, we can be assured that our prayers will be answered. This is some of the things that I hear so often, people's insecurity around prayer. I don't know how to pray. I don't know if God wants to hear me. I don't know if God is going to answer me. Here's how I, here's how I can promise you God's going to answer you if you pray his word to him. If you pray his promises to him, God answers those prayers. We pray with an open Bible. We pray expectantly. We labor in prayer. We labor in prayer. Sometimes we have to wait. This is Wayne Grudem. Sometimes we have to wait for answers. We should frequently bring a request to God and then silently wait before him. It is in those times of waiting on the Lord that God might change the desires of our heart. Sometimes God doesn't answer because he's waiting for you to change the ask. Sometimes he gives us additional insight into the situation we're praying about. Sometimes when you're praying for God to judge your spouse... <laughs> He's like, I'm not going to answer that one. You just think on it a little bit. <laughs> and then six months later, you're like, oh, it was me. He's like, ah, yeah, yeah. No, no. We get additional insight. He grants us um, additional insight into his word. He brings a passage of scripture to mind that enabled us, enables us to pray more effectively, to impart a sense of assurance of what his will is, to increase our faith so that we are able to pray and more confidence. Sometimes, listen, I just want to say to you, anytime that it is taking a long time for God to answer your prayer, it's not for no reason. Ever. Ever. There's a reason. You don't know what it is, but he has what it is. And so in faith, I stay connected to his word. I stay connected to collecting. I stay connected to prayer, and I labor in it in the assumption that, that I'm either not asking the right thing, or here's the other thing, I'll just say it for me, that I'm not the right man yet to receive the answer. And so I pray with an open Bible, I pray expectantly, I labor in prayer, I'm constant in prayer, and then I worship in prayer. And 1 Corinthians 14 says that we should pray our mind and our spirit. So here's the thing, I'll just say to you, I, I have things that I'm writing, things that I'm praying, things that I'm hoping for, things that... I'm expecting, but if you read through the Psalms, you see this again and again and again. David says, here's the circumstance, here's what I want, however, you're God, and you're holy, and I love you, and I trust. What's he doing? Here's the circumstance, here's what I want, I worship you regardless. A lot of us, we say, here's the circumstance, amen. God's like, I already know, I know the circumstance. Why are they telling me that, Gabriel, Right? Okay, God, here's the circumstance. Here's what I think is going on. Here's what I want you to do. And that's holy ground at that point. Because I'm saying to God my desires. I'm saying to God my perspective. I'm giving it to him so that he can give it back to me as he sees it. 
But then the third is to say, God, this is what it is. This is what I want. But regardless, I trust you. Regardless, I love you. Regardless, I worship you. Regardless, I praise you. Worship as you, as you pray. And so we read, we, we write, we respond, and then we have relationships. Are you still with me? Yes. Okay. Ecclesiastes 4, very simple. Two are better than one. Because they have good reward for their toil. In other words, you get more stuff done with two people than you get done by yourself. For if one falls, the other will lift him up. But woe to him if he's alone when he falls, and he will not have another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. And all the married folks said, come on, somebody. (laughs) But not if you ain't married. You know what I'm saying? Okay, that's a different sermon. Okay. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Throughout the Old Testament, God gives to leaders individuals who have an office. That office is that they are a prophet. Jeremiah, Elijah, Nathan, Isaiah, individuals who truly heard from God and then spoke for God. Now, these are individuals who spoke infallibly for God to the extent that God said, if somebody speaks for me and they're wrong, I want you to kill them. Which is what is funny to me about prophets running around today because they are wrong from, ten to, from time to time and no one pulls out a Zippo. Okay, so what, so what I'm saying to you is that these are, these are prophets that it was a different kind of thing. However, there are individuals who have prophetic gifts. They aren't prophets. They have prophetic gifts Or there are times when somebody is walking with God and God gives them something, gives it to them to give it to you. Are you with me? Okay. So I had a season in my life, two seasons ago, we were living in Madison, Wisconsin, that I had three prophetic moments happen to me. First, my pastor said to me, just in conversation, when you're leading a significant church, and he just kept talking. I was like, what, what, what? And he said, when you lead a significant church... And I said, I'm not leading a significant church now. (laughs) And he goes, no, a a different kind of church. And I said, do you think I'm going to lead a significant church in the future? And he goes, without a shadow of a doubt. Okay. Two days later, I had a friend. He was was an Indian, like from India. Pentecostal dude. I'm not Pentecostal. If you are, God loves you. And you're probably happier than I am. But that's a different thing, all right? (laughs) I'm just kidding, y'all. I'm just kidding. All right? And he says, last night I had a dream about you. I'm like, here we go. Right? No, no. I trusted this man. He walked with God. He said, I believe that you're one day going to lead a church with the nations in it for the blessing of the nations. I said, how would that happen? I'm a white guy. <laughs> he goes, I'm just telling you what I feel like God told me. I said, okay, fair enough. The day I resigned from my church in Madison, Wisconsin, I had a lady come up to me. I had never seen her. I don't know her name. I've never seen her since. She came up, and I've had people speak lots of prophetic words over me, and nine times out of ten, it's weird, and it doesn't come to pass, just to be honest with you. But this lady said this to me. She said, I hear that you're moving to Indianapolis, and I said, yep. And she said, can I tell you something that I feel like God told me? And I was like, lady, we don't even know each other. I was like, sure. And she said, I feel like God told me that it's not the next thing, it's the thing after that. Do you know what the thing after that is? This. Now listen, 
I, I don't know where you are theologically on that, but I'm, I just want to say to you um, that you need to have relationships with people who walk with God. Because sometimes God gives, gives you something through them. Let me also say, you need to have relationships to people in authority, and you need to be submitted to their authority. We're, we're in this climate and this culture where authority is something that we disrespect and dishonor. And, 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 and I'm not saying that authority is always perfect. It oftentimes isn't. I am saying that God uses it to speak. And so when I throw all authority out because I've had a bad relationship with somebody in authority... It's not that I lose my perspective on authority, it's that I lose a medium through which God speaks. I always say to my kids, I'm not saying all your teachers are gonna be great, I'm not saying all your coaches are gonna be great, I am saying that you're never going to disrespect them in this house. Why do I tell them that? Because I want them to hear from God. Because I want them to learn to follow and listen and submit. Everybody in this room, if you're a man, you need a father, you need brothers, and you need sons. You need somebody investing into you, you need somebody investing with you, and you need somebody to invest in. If you're a woman, you need mothers, you need sisters, and you need daughters. Nobody in this room is exempt from that. Nobody. Nobody in this room is exempt from that. This is the reason that we have small groups. It is the reason. Why? Because small groups, no, no, no. Because I want you to hear from God. And because so many people walking around, not listening to Romans chapter 12, the church is a body, multiple body parts working in tandem, God uses other body parts to speak to you and whatever body part you are, some of us, we get in isolation, we're listening to our own voice, we're thinking that we're right and nobody else is right, and here's the thing, we manipulate and we twist the voice of God and then we blame God when it doesn't work. And so whenever you hear from God's word, whenever you're journaling, whenever you're in prayer, the wisest thing you could do, especially if it's confusing and big, is go to somebody in your small group or go to a pastor or a ministry leader and say, this is what I think God is saying. Does it make sense to you? But if you only come once a month, if you ain't in a small group, if you're just out there doing your thing, the reality of it is that you're never going to ask because it's going to feel awkward for you to say something that's so vulnerable to somebody that you have no relationship with. Yeah. Reading God's word is a spiritual discipline. Journaling is a spiritual discipline. Prayer is a spiritual discipline. Relationships are a spiritual discipline. Now I want to go quickly through the last two because we're going to unpack them a little bit more. But in Matthew chapter 14, it's the famous story of Jesus walking on water. Shake your head if you're with me on that. Have you heard this before? That Jesus, the God of the Bible, the creator of all things, the Son of God, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, has this moment where he decides that he's going to take a walk on the water. Okay? And an interesting ha thing happens. You can look at it in Matthew chapter 14, 22 through 33. The disciples are in the middle of a storm. Jesus is walking toward them on water. And Peter looks out to Jesus and says, if it's really you, call me and I'll come to you. And Jesus says, literally, come, come on. And Peter <laughs> gets out of the boat and walks on water. It's a fascinating thing. So here's the, the spiritual discipline that I... I want to talk to you about, and we're going to talk more about it next week. Uh, it's the spiritual discipline of wounding, of storms, of trauma, of pain. 
You say, why is that a spiritual discipline? I'm, I'm supposed to look for it? No, it'll look for you. The question is, what do you do with it, and how do you hear God through it? So C.S. Lewis says, pain insists on being attended to. Have you noticed this? You have, you have some type of trauma that occurs, and you think, I'm just going to stuff this, and 10 years later, it's still there. Some of us, work, we have shelves full of trauma that we've never allowed God to deal with. But pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasure. Have you ever had that? God, thank you for this incredible meal. Just a little whisper. God speaks in our conscience, but God shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Don't you wish it were opposite? I just need you to whisper in my pain and scream in my happy times. Yeah. Now, an often overlooked aspect of Matthew 22, this incredible story of Jesus and Peter walking on water, is this simple fact, that Jesus sent his disciples into the storm. We're like, that cat walked on water, that's crazy. That's not the crazy thing about it. The crazy thing about it is that Jesus planned for his disciples to be so afraid they thought they were going to die. And watch, when, when he comes to them, okay, he walks on water. You say, that's crazy that he walked on water. I don't think that's what's crazy. I think what's crazy is that while they were afraid for their life, he walked and didn't run. You ever thought about that? If you're in the boat and the boat's coming apart, like you've had times where you're like, life's trying to kill me. They're trying to kill me. It's trying to kill me. God, where are you? And you see him off in a distance and he's doing this. And you're like, God, I'm not trying to boss you around. You're God. I'm not God. But I need you to sprint. <laughs> yeah, just me, I guess. <laughs> he watches them while they're fearing for their life. He walks. Why? Because their rescue was a foregone conclusion. He walks because he knew what he was going to do. He walks because he assumed that them Seeing him in the storm with them would have calmed them, but it didn't, and it doesn't, does it? I'm afraid from time to time, and, and, and I'll just tell you, God being in the storm with me ain't enough. I need him to be in the boat, and I need him to hurry up and get here. John 16 says, this is Jesus, I have said these things to you that you might have peace. Don't miss this. This is so you can have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. In this world, I'm going to run you into some storms. That's what God says. Some of us, we think if you're in a storm, God would have never sent us into that storm. The Bible and your life says the, the opposite. Some of us, we think when we're in a storm, we messed up. No, no. The disciples didn't mess up. They were being obedient. They were exactly where God wanted them to be, and he walked them straight into a storm. God says, in this world, pain's going to find you, and in this world, I'm going to run you to pain. But take heart. I've overcome all of it. I'm in the storm with you, and even when I'm walking, it's just because it's a foregone conclusion that I'm going to do something through it. 
But I don't want you to miss this. And this is why this is a spiritual discipline. We're going to unpack this in the entire time next week. I don't want you to miss it. A.W. Tozer says this. It is doubtful whether or not, whether God can bless a man until he hurts him deeply. I will. Thank you. It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Can I just tell you, we don't talk like this anymore, but we should. Because we go through things like pandemics, we go through things like divorces, we go through things like going bankrupt, and we have no frame in which to evaluate it, let alone hear from God through it. Tozer goes on, he says, God actually rises up storms of conflict in relationships at times in order to accomplish that deeper work in our character We cannot love our enemies in our own strength. That is some graduate-level grace. Are you willing to enter this school? Are you willing to take this test? If you pass, you can expect to be elevated to a new level in the kingdom. For he brings us through these tests as preparation for greater use in the kingdom. But you must pass the test first. Does God purposefully allow suffering? The comfortable answer is no. The biblical answer is absolutely. And here's all that I'm going to say about this, and then we'll come back to it. When I am in the valley, when I am down in the valley, my antenna needs to be up. When stress and trauma and drama are high, my ears need to be open. And most of us, we do the opposite. We say, God, how dare you do this to me? We stop reading our Bible. We stop coming to church. We start ghosting our small group. We stop praying. Until what happens? Until some version of the storm kind of goes away. But now we got all this trauma and all this isolation and all these habits. And we're stuck, not just in what happened, but in the next time it happens. Some of you are going through incredible seasons of pain. Here's what I want to say to you. I love you. I'm your pastor. God's trying to speak to you. Make sure that you're listening. So reading, writing, responding, relationships, wounding, and risk. God speaks through risk. We call it faith. Another incredible thing about this, Peter walked on water. (laughs) Peter walked on water. And anybody in here who can say they walked on water? You walked on a puddle. Because you ain't ever walked on a lake. Come on, somebody. Not with skis on your feet, without skis on your feet, or a floaty on your arms. But can I tell you something? Peter did something that none of us have done because Peter believes something that a lot of us don't believe. That when God said he could walk on water, he could, but what did he have to do to experience it? He had to get out of the boat. He had to get out of the boat. It was only after he got out of the boat, which is the dumbest thing in the world. Get back in the boat, Peter. What are you doing? He does this all the time. He's so stupid. (laughs) But when he was out of the boat, he had an experience with God that nobody on that lake had. There are elements of God's voice that only persist in action. You say, God, do it. God, give it to me. And God's like, you got to get up. God, no, 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 I don't want to get up. I want to sit here in an air-conditioned 21 days of prayer. I want you to put it in my hands, and I promise I'll say that you did it. And God's like, you won't. 
You got to get out on a lake afraid that you're going to die and drown and embarrass yourself. And we're going to say on your tombstone, he was so dumb, he drowned. (laughs) You want to hear God? Do what he told you to do. Can I tell you some of the reason that God's not talking to you is you still haven't done the last thing he told you. You want your marriage to be fixed? Yes, I do. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. You got anything else, Lord? Nope. Submit to your husband and respect him. (laughs) Really? You trying to kill me? Yeah. I'm trying to get you to take up your cross daily. God bless me financially. You been faithful with what I gave you? You giving? Dude, I ain't got the money. Well, you got to get out of the boat for me to give you more. Listen, so many of us, we say, God, just gently place in our hands as I read, as I write, as I pray, as I go to small group. And God's like, how about I walk you through the valley of the shadow of death and get you out of a boat on a stormy lake? Then I'll give it to you. It's not, I, don't, I don't like saying these things to you other than that I know if nobody says it to you, you'll be at the bottom of a lake wondering what happened. And you'll blame God. And I want you to hear from God. We're in 21 days of prayer and fasting. And last week I asked you to pick something to turn, turn it down. And the reality of it is, some of you, God picked your turn it up for you. You're in a valley of a shadow of death right now. And I just want to give you some perspective. Some of it, you know exactly what God is requiring of you. And what I'm saying to you is that God's voice, God's presence is available to you, but you got to get out of the boat. you got to get out of the boat and do what he called you to do. If I could pick it, I would say you're at 21 days of prayer and fasting. You're picking something to turn it down, and you're picking something to turn it up. Now, why? Why? Because so much of your renewal... This is my heart for you. So much of the renewal of your strength, the renewal of your mind, the clarity of your purpose, your longevity, your fulfillment, your joy, your happiness is tied to this, to these things, to understanding the circumstances of your life, not according to what you think, but according to what God says. Learning to walk with God, not in an idea, in a practice, in a habit, In a discipline, I can think of nothing more important than this about you, about us, especially out of this season. God has promises to us. This is the way that we claim them. God, we love you today. And I thank you for your word. And I thank you, God, that even though you do it differently than I wish sometimes, most times, that you're always present, that you're always powerful, that you always speak. But Lord, I pray that you would tune our hearts to you. Tune our hearts. Turn up the volume of your voice, Lord. The reality of it is right now our minds are full, our hearts are full with trauma, with memories, with ideas, with opinions, with podcasts and audiobooks. And Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to turn some of those things down, Lord. Some of us right now, you're speaking clearly. Lord, we can't hear it because we're committed to other things. Lord, I I just pray at the simplest level that you'll give us this belief. I need to be a person who hears the voice of God. God is speaking. 
God is for me. God loves me. God has things to say to me. God is present. And I want to hear it. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Be present in our midst. We thank you for it. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Hey, if you came prepared to give, thank you for it. You can do it at any door. Growth track is happening at noon. I love you. Go Chiefs next week. See you tonight at prayer.